And, and kiddos, don't forget to let your parents or grandparents take you into the fellowship hall for items to go in your backpacks and for a photographic moment, okay? Let us pray. Sanctify us in your truth, O Lord, for your word is truth. Amen. So today, the theme is new eyes, and I stumbled upon this theme because as I thought about the reading as was presented by Chris a while ago, I had occasion to think about my long-felt desire to have perfect vision. I think many of you will agree with me that uh, you wish you had perfect vision and, uh, and you didn't have to wear those glasses, those spoilers as they call them, uh, that get in the way sometimes. Every now and again I forget that I have glasses on and I go to wipe my eyes and I wipe the glass and then I got to go clean it. You know, you know how it is for those of us who wear glasses and, um, and for those who wear contacts, you know, it's the same kind of challenges that you face. You got to take them out before you go to bed and you got you, you to clean them and all that kind of stuff. But really and truly, new eyes is the theme for this message today. And I want to begin with a story because I think this story kind of gets at what Jesus is addressing in this gospel pericope for this weekend. The story is told about a very poor, holy man who lived in a remote part of Asia. And every day before his time of meditation to show his devotion, he would get a bowl, a small dish, and he would put a dab of butter in the dish and put it on his windowsill as an offering to God. And he did it because there was, a, was scarcity of food in that region. And so he would do it religiously every day for, as, a, as a, an act of devotion. And uh, one day, uh, you know, he put this dab of butter in the dish, he put it on the windowsill, and while he was meditating, his cat came in. And he went to that bowl, and that cat lapped up that butter. So to remedy the problem, the old man decided that he had to restrict his cat. So he tied the cat to the bedpost each day before meditation. The gospel pericope for this weekend gives special prominence to that which is old and that which is new. This seems to be, or in my opinion, is the theme of Jesus' sermon. Luke takes us inside of the synagogue where several worshipers, including 
Jesus and his disciples are gathered. Now, the synagogue became a Jewish place of worship in the 6th century BCE, before the Common Era, during the Babylonian exile. It did not replace the temple, but became a substitute place of worship after the temple was destroyed and remained essential to Jewish life ever since. Like church, we're gathered in this space that we call our church home. The synagogue worship was non-sacrificial, consisting of scripture reading, prayers, canticles, and a message. As was customary, Jesus was keeping Sabbath with his fellow Jewish sisters and brothers on the seventh day of the week. And Jews were forbidden on this day to do any work. It was a day set apart for worship of God, as we see in Exodus 16 and Exodus 31 and Exodus 35. The day was traditionally defined by rules, but that was about to change. Now, when you spend time in a house of worship, there are some things that happen naturally or should happen naturally. One is that you should get to know the people with whom you worship. And as you get to know them, they become in some instances, your dear friends. They become like family. In fact, they should be family to you because we talk about ourselves as the family of God. But that is not always the case. In some church homes, some people remain acquaintances. And that was true in Jesus' time as well. The bent of a woman was an acquaintance that we might ask who really cared as we saw her, as we see her inside the synagogue. Clearly, not the synagogue leader. He wasn't her friend. She wasn't a dear friend to him because he was more concerned about keeping rules. Keeping rules. As Jesus pointed out, if the Sabbath law can be broken for the needs of beasts, then surely this should be done for human beings in times of need. We should not make the law more important than the needs of others. Therefore, illness should inspire compassion, although that is not always the case. Sometimes it brings curious or unpleasant stares, and such stares that make individuals feel abnormal or like they don't fit in. On such occasions, 
Illness can be also isolating, although some types of illness require quarantine, like our recent experience of COVID-19. But when we look at the story that is presented to us this morning by Luke, or in Luke's gospel, the bent-over woman was probably well known to the community because she was defined not by name, but by her infirmity. Notice we do not have a name for her in the text, but we get a sense of who she is by described by, her, by the description uh, that is given. Everyone had grown accustomed to seeing her that way. They were accepting of her infirmity. And you know what? They concluded that that was her fate. But think about it for a moment. She did not make herself that way, did she? No, she didn't make herself that way. And I imagine that if she could, she would have fixed the problem long ago. She must have prayed for God to take away her suffering. But God's silence lasted how long? Eighteen long years. Now on the Sabbath day, little did she know that what she had prayed and hoped for was about to be delivered. I want to pause there for a while and I want to go to our culture wars. I think everybody is caught up in culture wars these days. It's the new thing. In our age of culture wars, we might learn from Jesus a few things. And remember that here Jesus is the teacher, okay? That's how the gospel begins. Jesus was in the synagogue teaching. We might learn from Jesus the teacher about what is old and that which is new. Firstly, Jesus saw the bent of a woman as a child of Abraham. The most, this is probably perhaps the first time she's affirmed as a person with dignity. He sees her as a child of Abraham. We can do likewise and see each person as a child of God. Perhaps that's where we should always begin, seeing the other as a child of God. Secondly, Jesus saw her as someone to be loved. In our culture war, when we see people who look different than we are, whether they be transgender, whether they be bisexual, lesbians, or whatever, we should see them as someone to be loved. Perhaps that's where we should start. Child of God, and see them as someone to be loved. 
we can do likewise when we see each person not by their outward appearance, not by how they describe themselves, not by their disability, but as someone to be loved. Thirdly, Jesus singled her out, spoke directly to her need, and then he laid his hand upon her. Yeah? We can do likewise by befriending those who are different, speak directly to their needs, and make them aware of God's love. In this age of culture war, we should be different. Okay? Teaching in an age of culture war can be difficult, but meaningful when instead of focusing on rules, we show our concern for the other. I know you want to know how this story ended, so I'm going to have to go back there. The story about this poor holy man with his cat and his devotion to God. Well, this holy man was so revered for his piety that he soon had a following. And his disciples worshipped as he did and generations later, long after he had passed, his disciples followed his example. They made an offering. They got a small dish, got a dab of butter and put it inside there, put it on the windowsill, during their time of prayer and meditation. But you know, they didn't stop there. They went out and bought themselves cats. And they tied those cats to bed posts. during their time of meditation as they put the offering of butter on the windowsill. Tradition. Tradition could either be the dead faith of the living. Notice the dead faith of the living or the living faith of the dead. Why would they go out and get cats and tie them to the posts? Well, because they had seen the man do that. They didn't ask him why he did that, but they were being pious. Bought themselves cats just to tie them to bedposts. Reminds me of the song. You know that song? You used to sing it. 
My grandmother used to sing it. My aunts, all the aunts used to sing it in, in the home. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. The old-time religion is good for me when it is freeing rather than enslaving. For it to be freeing, the value must be on life-giving and not on rules-keeping. Jesus shows us how to be with others, especially the sick, maligned, and those who are different. Befriend them and speak what we have heard from him. We have heard, each of us, we have heard from Jesus, you are freed. That's the word that Jesus spoke to the bent over woman this child of Abraham. You are freed. And it's that same word that is addressed to each of us in our baptism when God in Christ claims us as a child of God. When we remember that Jesus frees us, we will want that same freedom for others. We will want them to be free from fears. We will want them to be free from stereotypes. We will want them to be free from social restrictions or societal restrictions. We will want them to be freed from ignorance, and we will we'll want them to be freed from hostility. So let us give our estranged neighbors what Jesus has given to us, the freedom to be children of God, the freedom to be children of God. Of course, that will mean upsetting the apple cart. But we will not be the first because Jesus has already set the standard. And we will not be the last because God continues to bring about change through the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers today and into the future. What God wants from you and me is not perfection, not keeping rules. That's not what God wants. God wants from you and me to be faithful, to love God, and to love the neighbor as we love ourselves. Of course we can do that, not by our own strength, but by the gift that we receive in our baptismal covenant, the power of the Spirit at work in our lives. Amen.